Well, we're looking at parts of the Gospel of Mark, focusing on the real Jesus. And today we're in Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 24. And so either look up on the app the notes or turn in your Bible or grab a Bible or Mark chapter 7. You're definitely going to want to have a Bible in front of you because we do teach verse by verse through the scriptures. And Lord, we ask now in Jesus' name that your word would be rich in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. Be gracious to us, Lord. Give us ears to hear all that your spirit is saying to the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Mark chapter 7, the first 23 verses is just sort of a crazy wrestling match with Jesus and the Pharisees over clean foods and what's not clean and then the washing of hands and how you sanctify a different vessel depending on what the vessel's made of wood or clay. None of this is in the Bible. This is their interpretation uh, of one little tiny blurb in the Old Testament and they come up with literally a thousand pages on how to, to do this. And, and it just really got insane. And of course, Jesus, a lot of times, just didn't participate in it. He grew up in the Jewish culture to reach the Jews. He often uh, did their traditions, but not because he felt he had to, to, to be obedient to God. He did it to keep the door open, to minister to the Jews. But it was pretty clear they were not going to accept him. They were going to find some little flaw in what he did. And he finally just faces off with them. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 says love is not rude. But it doesn't mean you don't get in people's face sometimes out of love. And this is exactly what he did. He turned on them and said, listen. Isaiah prophesied about you guys. In vain do you worship God, keeping all the traditions of men and ignoring the very commandments of God. You see, sometimes when they were legalistically trying to do everything just right, they had to ignore certain scriptures in order to do that. And the Lord says, your, your worship is religion. And that grieves God, and it, and it causes you to hate God. Instead of focusing on God and his mercy and his grace and his love and, and the power in prayer, you're focused on me and what I'm touching and what I'm eating and how I'm dressing and how I'm acting and, and how I'm looking. And, and, and none of that brings you closer to God. It just causes you to, to be grieved. And it's interesting, when you give people a bunch of religion, they can eat, they'll do all those religious things and feel like, man, I'm really obeying God. You know, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago uh, an aspect with the, the Catholic Church where, you know, it says Mary had other kids, and of course... The idea is like, no, Mary had to be a virgin until the day she died to be holy. And we looked at those scriptures. It says, no, the marriage bed is holy. And it wouldn't have made her unholy 
to consummate her marriage, to be a good wife to Joseph, and it wouldn't have made her unholy to have other children. But yet in the religious mind, that's, that's horrible, you know? In the same way, it's all this stuff. We got incense burning and lighting candles and sitting down and standing up and confessionals and, and last rites and all these prayers to memorize and recite several times to bring penance to your sins. None of that is in the Bible. Matter of fact, much of it is the opposite of the Bible. But yet, religion, see, kicks in and says, no, 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 I'm right with God. I burned a candle. No, 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 I'm, I'm right. I went to the confessional. No, 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 I, I do the rosary. No, 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 I... And it's like, all those are traditions of men. And they're keeping you from simply seeing Jesus. Actually, after mentioning that the other week, I, I had a couple of people, one in particular, the conversation I remembered, saying, you know, even as a child, I kept trying to get to Jesus, but I couldn't get around Mary <laughs> to get to Jesus. I couldn't get around the Catholic traditions to get to Jesus. And there just came a point in my life, I just wanted Jesus, and I read the Bible and all the red letters, and I came to know Jesus, and I found myself like a fish out of water in the Catholic Church. I just was very uncomfortable, and that's what led me uh, outside of that to other churches. And Jesus here is not saying, oh, oh I'm so glad you're washing your hands like this, and I'm so glad you're keeping uh, ceremonially clean this way. Jesus is saying, guys, there's a point in time that all this religious, human-made burdens upon men have to stop so people can just come to Jesus simply as they are. Martin Luther on the Wittenberg door in the 95 Thesis said, Every believer is a priest to God. Every one of us are to read the Bible. Every one of us are to go straight to the Lord. There is no mediator of man to get us there. And the idea of a man mediating to get us there are a bunch of rules to get us holy enough to come before God. It's, it's anathema. It's, it's completely the opposite of Jesus coming as a simple carpenter from Nazareth with no religious education. They, they faulted him constantly for teaching the Bible without being religious. How can you teach us about God when you are not a religious person? And that was just a constant contrast. Ultimately, that's what put Jesus to death was their jealousy over his popularity when he was not being a traditional-looking, acting rabbi. This is the box that Jesus came to bust us out of in our human nature, as well as the desire to replace a true walk with God with a symbol of a walk with God. It's always going to be something we fight. 
If you stand still, we'll start looking religious. If we're not fighting against it, human organization will bring us into these traditions of men until we do all these things that, that aren't even in the Bible. They're not bad, but they're just not a replacement for a genuine seeking of God and walking with God, right? Well, the Lord just got sick of this, and he's like, man, I am getting out of here. And in verse 24 of Mark 7, from there, he just arose and went up to the region of Tyre and Sidon, about 50 miles away north. A matter of fact, if you've been to Israel, you've been to the Sea of Galilee, we go from the Sea of Galilee and we see a Roman city called Caesarea, where Paul stood before some Roman governors and so forth and, and preached the gospel. That very stage is there. But if you're on that Mediterranean Sea, it's right on the ocean there, and you were to go about 25, 30 miles to the north, you would come to Tyre and Sidon. So he's leaving Israel. He's leaving the boundaries of Israel. This is pretty radical. Now, understand, Jews lived throughout the world at this time, and no doubt there was a Jewish community down there as well. But he entered a house and wanted no one to know it. But, I love this, he could not be hidden. Oh, let it be said about, um, about us. You know, I love that statement that said if you were taken to court for being a Christian, would your coworkers have enough evidence to testify against you? <laughs> would your neighbors have enough evidence to testify against you? Or would your coworkers go, can you please give me some uh, proof that they're a Christian? No, no, huh? No, they're just a nice person. I sort of thought they might be a Christian because they're nice, but outside of that, no, I, I have no idea if they're an atheist or a Christian. Oh, is Jesus hidden? Are we so afraid? I, I mentioned last week how, I can't remember exactly the content of the message. That was seven days ago. Um, but I, I mentioned how there's such a pressure on us that if we act Christian, the, our society says you're insane. Put them in a loony bin. They're, 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 they're emotionally unstable. Remember me saying that last week? That very thing happened this week towards our vice president. It was, it was unreal. I, I told Cheryl, look at this. They're, they're listening to my sermon. And... Uh, <laughs> ABC and CBN once again is plagiarizing me. And, uh, but it was just astonishing. Yeah, there, there's a price to pay to be with Jesus and to follow Jesus. And, to, you know, I love the alabaster flask of worshiping Jesus and washing his feet. We're going to have that sense of Jesus. It can't be hidden. You can try. But it'll be evident that we've been with Jesus well, he goes down to this Gentile area. And the woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit 
heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. This, the, the, the Greek word for worship is prosukamai, which literally means to fall at the feet and kiss. So she was probably holding on around his ankles and kissing his feet and, and not letting him go. A woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. So one, a woman touching a Jewish man, just not done. A Gentile woman touching a Jewish man, he's now unclean, he's contaminated. But this woman also had been involved in some kind of witchcraft. Somehow she had been dabbling in something, or maybe she was a tarot card reader or seance person, I, I don't know. But demons don't play fair. Satan is a brutal, brutal adversary. And so instead of her getting the divine power to read the fortune, the demon said, hey, I want your daughter, and this poor little girl is out of her mind. Remember before, the little boy we saw, he was being, thrown himself into the ocean, or to the Sea of Galilee trying to drown himself or throwing himself into the fire and convulsing all the time, and there was no help for him. I don't know what this looked like, but I'm sure it was horrendous and horrible as this little mind couldn't process this very dark presence in her life. And she is desperate, and she's coming to Jesus, and, and she hears about this Jewish rabbi who's doing mighty miracles, and, and, and she's just grieved, thinking there's no hope, and all of a sudden, Jesus can't be hidden. He's a light to the world. He's a salt to the earth. And, and she just runs right into the house in this Jewish probably community where he was at. And Jesus said to her, let the children be filled first. For it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. So Jesus in essence says, hey, my ministry is to the Jews. And my entire ministry is going to remain to the Jews. And so for you to ask me to stop focusing on the Jews and focus on these Arabs that live in the country around Israel, um, what, what gives you that impression? Now, I'd just like to talk about this a minute. Because we need to understand biblically who Israel is and who the Arabs are to God. Yes, God chose Abraham and said, I'm the God of the children of Abraham from forever. You are my chosen special people. But remember, Abraham went down to Egypt and got an Egyptian maiden named Hagar. And actually, Abraham's first son by many, many years was a relationship that he had with Hagar, and she bore Ishmael. Now, who is Ishmael? He's half Arab, because Abraham's an Arab. Arab, he came down from the Ur of Chaldees, which is today Nazaria, Iraq. He was an Iraqi. This Iraqi 
came into the land that would later be called Israel, and they went down to Egypt, and this Iraqi married this Egyptian gal, and together they had this Arab child Ishmael. And what did God say to Hagar when she was being mistreated by Sarah? I'm with you, Hagar. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your son, and I also will make him a great nation. So this is the heart of God. Now, I don't have time to, to walk all the way through it, but God constantly has intervened in the Arab world throughout the Bible, sending prophets to them, healing them of leprosy, they're in Babylon, sending Daniel and prophesying through Daniel all the way up. Who were the first three guys that were drawn to Jesus? Kings of the what? East. They were Arabs. These Arabs came down and gave Jesus and his family the money that probably he lived on when they had to flee to Egypt. Yes, Jesus grew up some of his years in Egypt. He was in a an Egyptian citizen for a while. Now, now, why is this important? Because as we come through prophecy and we look, right now we are in a time when the rapture of the church is going to come any day. I, I can't believe it already hasn't come. But uh, maybe it has and you guys are left to be, no, no. Um, <laughs> the rapture is going to come. And then there's going to be a seven-year tribulation period. And after that, it's going to be a thousand-year millennial reign. And in that thousand-year millennial reign, in Isaiah, this is such important scripture. Think about these and, and look at these. Isaiah 19, in verse 24 to 25, God said that when I make Israel into my people, guess what God says? Israel is just a portion one-third portion. Who's the other two portions that make up his people in the millennial period? He says the Egyptians. And he says the Assyrians. Now, the Assyrian Empire, when you look at it geographically, out of the Babylonian Empire and the Persian Empire, the Assyrian Empire actually held more land and encompassed a huge area of what we would think today as the Arab world. And what does he say there? In that day, the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people. Assyria, which we would say today, the Arab world, are the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Do, do we get this? God has a tremendous calling on Israel. They're his chosen people forever. But God makes it clear that when this all pans out, it will be the Jewish children of Abraham, but it'll also be the Arab children of Abraham. And, and I know that's sort of mind-blowing, but just think about it. Whatever God loves, Satan is working the hardest to destroy, right? 
God loves Israel. Satan has spent human history trying to destroy Israel and make the whole world with fake news to hate Israel. Right? And what's happening now? Satan has weaseled his way in with this Muslim religion and, and this evil book called the Koran and, and has all of these teachings that just go against human nature. You literally got to just die to your own instincts, your own conscience, your, your own just human normalcy has to be quenched. To look at women this way, to look at all these different aspects of hatred and, and the jihad and all of this, it's, you know, I understand there's a lot of Muslims that are not that way, um, but it, it just, I don't know, it just grieves me when I, I realize, guys, this is spiritual. Back when 911 happened, That next Sunday, I said, look guys, we have almost no missionaries in throughout the Arab world. We got tons in South America. We got tons in Africa. We got tons all over Asia. But a huge percentage of about a fifth of the world's population, we have little to no missionaries. We don't even, didn't even know about Osama bin Laden. We didn't even know about the Muslim world. We had no idea about the Quran. And I said, when those planes blew up the thing, what, what was God doing to us? He's saying, love your enemies. What else? Pray for them. Do good to them. For us as Christians, it should have just, as I said, they, they sort of kicked the beehive of heaven. And all these bees come flurrying out of here. And it's us Christians going, Lord, bring salvation to these special people that we know in the millennial kingdom will be one part or, the, or two parts. That with Israel, Egypt, and Assyria, and Israel combined, making up God's chosen people throughout that millennial reign. It's, it's pretty radical, isn't it? And so to, to say that God didn't love the Gentiles and love these Arabs around Israel as much as Israel is somebody just really hasn't taken a whole look at all the Bible says about this. But this is a clear doctrinal point that the gospel must first come to the Jews. Paul continually said, when I go to a city, I seek out the Jews because it's right that since the Messiah comes from the lineage of the Jewish race, they should first hear the gospel. They should be the first to receive their Messiah. And then after that, the Gentiles. When the woman at the well, this is an area of Israel, but it was sort of blocked off at this time, an area called Samaria. And he was with this Samaritan woman who was half Jewish and half from the peoples of that land. She goes, well, you know, our forefathers worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob up here because Jacob built this well and so forth. And Jesus says, listen to me. You don't know what you're talking about. 
because salvation is of the Jews. And there is going to come a day when the Arabs will, it may be the millennial reign, will love Israel as God loves Israel. But now everyone who curses the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they will be cursed, as it says in Genesis 12. But God's desire is equal here. Now, Jesus says to this woman, you know, I'm not going to take the kid's bread and give it to the dogs. Now, normally the word there is kuno, which is a dog. And the dogs in this society were almost like rats. They weren't the nice little lovable things you have climbing bed with you and stuff. They were just sort of out dipping over trash cans and scurrying about. Um, they weren't the lovable creatures that we have adapted them to be. But he doesn't use that word. He uses the word kunarion instead of kunon, which is puppies, little tiny puppies that would sit around the table and they would lick up the scraps as, as the kids would, you know, make their mess around their little their chairs. These little puppies would get to eat it up to keep uh, things sanitary. But notice her, she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. <laughs> I, I love this picture. Because we see that she's not even a little bit bummed about this. Her faith in Christ and faith I would say in his graciousness and his mercy was equal to his power. She, she doesn't get discouraged. I mean, today, if I said, you know, you want me to take time and counsel you? Is it right? I spend my time with dogs like you and, and not with the, the real people. I mean, what would you say to that? You'd get in my face going, what are you saying, boy? I'm going to take you down right now, pastor. That's what we would say. <laughs> but you know what? She was desperate, and she didn't get detoured by this. She didn't get disheartened by this. Basically, she came to Christ, and Christ is saying, no. He's, saying, he's being rude to her. And she, he's saying, not now. I, I, no, th there has been no positive indication, whatever, that Jesus is acting any differently than any religious, legalistic rabbi from the Jews. Everything about his demeanor looks like he's one of these uptight Jews who wants nothing to do with the Gentiles. That's his presentation to her. But yet, it doesn't faze her. Not at all. And so he said to her, for this saying, go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And when he had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. This story right here is incredibly unique. I'm going to tell you why. We actually get a behind-the-scenes view of a Gentile, a sinful Gentile, talking to God. When we come and we pray, we go right to Jesus, to his throne room, right? Hebrews 4, we come right to Jesus, and he gives us all that we need.
But here we get to see this behind the scenes. And, and doesn't it feel that way sometimes when you pray? The Lord going, what? What are you bothering me for? Yeah, 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 you know, come on. Are, are you kidding me? You want me to do what? I mean, that's the way it feels sometimes to us. Like we're getting rejected. Or we're, we're getting, a, you, you know, not the open door that we had opened and, and the encouragement. It, it's often when we pray, as it says in Luke 18, it, it says, pray, I say this parable to you, that pray always and not lose heart. Because we do. Because we feel just like what's happening with this lady here. We feel like, Lord, would you help me? Yeah, I don't think so. But Lord, it's my daughter. She's got a demon. Well, yeah, you know, that's pretty bad. But, you know, let me think about it. That's the way it feels, exactly like what we see. And what is the Lord doing here? He's drawing out her faith. With a mustard seed of faith, the Bible says we can move mountains. But here, he, he desires to see that faith. It tells us in Hebrews that it's the faith of us in God, in his power, yes, but in his nature, his kindness, his mercy, to understand the nature of prayer, that every meditation of our heart he hears. How much more every prayer he hears. And that we would demonstrate that faith, and what does that faith look like? It looks like stubbornness, right? It, it would be like a grandchild saying to the grandpa, hey, would you fix me a bowl of cereal? And the grandpa says, no, no, get your own cereal. But I'm only three years old. No, that's your problem, isn't it? And it might be this fun, humorous thing, right? But the whole time he's heading towards doing exactly what his grandchild wants. And so here, there's no doubt in any of our mind, if you know the nature of our God, he was not going to leave a demon in a little girl. He was not going to ignore the cries of a mother's heart over messing up her life and not just her life she's messed up her child's life the most precious thing there's no way god was going to leave tired and sidon and that situation be there we know that when we pray according to god's will he hears us and we have the very thing we ask of him this is hands down god's will but yet what does he want this woman to do just like jesus taught the apostles Ask, keep on asking. Seek, keep on seeking. Knock, keep on knocking. Why? Because I want to irritate you? Because you need to seek me in the word and say, God, what is your will? What is your heart? What do you, you know? And then you come to say, no, this is the glory we have on earth. It says in Jeremiah 9, our glory is not that the rich man can glory in his riches or the wise man in his wisdom or the mighty man in his might, but we glory in this, that we understand and know God. When we go to heaven, we're not going to be going, well, hi, Jesus, I'm Brian. Yeah, I know who you are, Brian. Okay, yeah, well, we haven't really met before. And, you know, hey, I'd like to get to know you. 
That's not going to happen to anybody who goes to heaven. (laughs) We know him. The only difference is we know him by faith, and although we don't see him, yet we love him because we know his heart, we know his mind, we know his character. All the word of God is to draw us to know him, even though we haven't seen him in person. When we do see him in person, it won't be getting to know him. We've been walking and talking and experiencing and, and, and living a life with him, not physically, but by faith in the spirit. And so God is drawing out her faith, drawing out her faith until she is not disappointed. She does not lose heart. He, he just keeps working. I, I think of Jacob. He was such a fleshly guy, and the Lord shows up and wrestles with him. And of course, the Lord could have ended that in one second. But he lets Jacob just keep fighting and fighting all night long until he's completely exhausted, and the Lord just touches his hip and blows it out. And he said, I lost. Give me the prize. The loser's got the prize. That's the way it should be, you know. I won. I don't get anything. But you lost. You still get something. There you go. That's a nice way of doing it. And he said, what's your name? Oh, don't ask that. Please, please, please. He'll catch her. Thief. Well, your name now is going to be Israel, one who is governed by God, by God wrestling with us in prayer, by drawing out our faith, by causing us to press in in the word and and to say, is this your heart? Is this your mind? Why wouldn't you? God, I'm looking at this story. It's identical to saying, yes, I believe that God is and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I will grab a hold of him and not let go until he blesses me. That's the heart that God is bringing us all to. And we see this behind the scenes, the Lord doing that very thing. I love this quote. Sometimes you don't know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. If this woman let go of his feet, (laughs) who else could have helped her? Her persistence came because there was no one else that could do this but Jesus. Do you believe that? Often when I'm counseling people, they'll say, well, I'm going to do this and this and this. And Well, that's a answer, but that's not the answer. All that answer is going to do is put a bunch of money on your credit card and you're going to have to deal with it in several months from now. The answer would be, so again, Jesus is the answer. And there was no other answer but through him that she wanted. Well, in verse 31, finishing up here, again departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came to the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Do you remember this place? This is where the guy who had the legion of demons, Jesus cast them out into the pigs, and the people said, leave us alone. Go away from here, Jesus. We don't want anything to do with you. And so now he's coming back to that same region, and notice they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. In Isaiah 35, this is one of the signs that the Messiah would bring, opening the eyes of the blind, opening the ears of the deaf, causing the lame to walk, and the tongue of the dumb to sing, even, not just speak, 
but to seeing. So Jesus seeing this unique situation, the guy was deaf and couldn't speak. He took him aside from the multitude. So Jesus knew something unique was happening here with this guy. Something in his mind, something in his heart to bring him to believe in Jesus was going to take a unique thing. In Proverbs 20, it says, The heart of man is like the deep well, but a man of understanding can draw it out. So Jesus uniquely needed to minister to this guy to bring his faith out, to put his trust in Jesus. Well, he took him aside. He put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Now, I know what you're thinking. This is really strange. This makes me very uncomfortable. I really wish this wasn't in the Bible. Why is this in the Bible? Jesus, what? I mean, tell me the real Greek here. He didn't really spit on his tongue. Guys, there's no way around this. Jesus, at this moment, sort of looked like Benny Hinn. Okay? I mean, you know, he looked like one of those crazy Pentecostal TV evangelists. I, I mean, it, it makes me uncomfortable, too. I, I sort of wish this wasn't here. But it's here. And this is a part of the nature of Jesus. What's Jesus saying here? Why is he doing this? Don't put me in a box. He's not tame. <laughs> He's a lion of the tribe of Judah. Don't think you can tame him. He's unique. What's, what's that mean? Jesus says, I am holy. I think the best translation of that is I'm just unique. God is constantly going to surprise us. God is infinite. Look at us. If I said make a thousand people, probably by the hundredth person, there would be a lot of twins and triplets. But yet you can go sit in the airport for hours and not see even two people that hardly look alike. Two fingerprints. DNA. It's amazing. God's infinite in his creative ability. And as he does these things, sometimes they're just not what we thought would be the norm. Not, not what we expected to see. Interesting. Jesus told the woman at the well, God desires to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. And I think it's comfortable for us to just say, let's worship God in truth. But let's not open up the spirit because it just might open the door up to things that make me uncomfortable and others uncomfortable, and, and, and I, I just don't want that. So the day of Pentecost, God's power falling upon the church, what's it look like? Cloven tongues of fire, people speaking as if they were drunk. These men are drunk, is what everybody looking on thought it looked like. And Jesus said, Peter said, no, they're not drunk. They're filled with the Spirit. But nobody can glory in that. <laughs> and so, again, this, this is very consistent 
with the nature of God. I would just simply say that, that, that again, God is, is not going to be worshipped in truth where we put him in this box and, and we have this nice little container that makes us comfortable. He's a God of spirit. And, and he's unique. And he's, you're never going to get a handle on it because he's infinite. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, let everything be done. Now that's the Pentecostals. Woohoo, let's do it. Get some chandeliers in here. We were swinging them, man. We're going to go. You know, they're just sort of like, let everything be done. And it's sort of a free fall. And just like the Corinthian church, they're freaking people out with speaking in tongues without an interpreter. And 1 Corinthians 4 clearly says for us the New Testament, we're not to go beyond what's written. What's in the Bible is we don't go beyond that. So people say, well, in the name of the Spirit, we're slain in the Spirit. In the name of the Spirit, we're... And it's like, I'm not. Well, you're quenching the Spirit. Fine. I, 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 this is my line. I'm not going to go beyond what the Bible says. If I don't see it in the Bible, it's not going to be practiced in the church. Period. Why? Because 1 Corinthians 14 says, let everything be done decently and in order. Now, that's the Baptist. The Baptists are like, ooh, man, we're tame. Get your suit, your tie, everybody. You know, this is a formal thing, and, and we're not going to let it get out of control at all. We got this under control. It's very decent, very ordered. And praise God. I, I'm not in any way saying anything negative about that. That's just a known fact. The Pentecostals are like, forget about the order. Woo, let's have a circus. And, and, and I'm not saying God's not working in that either. I'm just saying that, yes, spirit and in truth, everything be done decently in order. That's why we at Calvary Chapel are Bapticostals. <laughs> it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, do not despise prophetic utterance. Why? Because sometimes it's, it's outside our comfort zone. It says, let everybody discern in 1 Corinthians 14, whether it's of God or not. But I think, I think it, we can easily get to the place of just saying, throw out the baby with the bathwater. I don't, I don't want to ever deal with the issue of prophecy or tongues or faith healing. Or, because when you do, it just gets it's, it's tiring to try to keep it in order. I, I agree. But we're commanded to let the gifts of the Spirit flow, as it says in 1 Corinthians 12. And so, if you think about it, <laughs> is the devil really threatened by some church that's not open to anything that God's Spirit's doing? No. But when people are trying to be worshiping in spirit and in truth, trying to discern what the prophecies of God and what it means and He's going to come in and what? He's going to do like he's always done. He's going to join that and try to blow it up to make it so weird that everybody just says, had a bad experience with the gifts of the Spirit and tongues and charismatic movement. I just want nothing to do with it. Woohoo, Satan wins. Sometimes it's hard to discern. Remember Paul and Barnabas, there was this lady that had 
started following them, and she's screaming for three days, listen to these men, they're of God. They're bringing the message of God. And on the third day, everything she said was right. It was just weird. And on the third day, Paul stopped and realized, that's a demon speaking out of her. And they cast the demon out of that woman. Sometimes it takes time to figure out what's really going on here. But the Bible makes it clear that we can know it by its fruit. What is the fruit it's bringing? Love, joy. Here's an important one dealing with the gifts of the Spirit. What? Peace. Kindness. Goodness. Here's another one. Gentleness. So if, if things are being done decently in order, even though it may be spitting on tongues and putting fingers in ears, it's going to be fruitful, and there's going to be that same peace of God, that gentle breeze of God in the midst of it. It doesn't have to be screaming and yelling and running around and sweating and, and, and this dynamic drama going on. I don't believe that. Well, in verse 34, Jesus looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephatha, that is, be open. He's speaking an Aramaic word. Jesus, I, I think, spoke at least a couple languages, if not more. But he just groaned. And in Romans 8, verse 23, and Romans 8, 26, it says that God's Spirit helps us by groaning in us and, and speaking to God for us. So God's, there's just times where we just sigh. Ah, oh, and it's actually a spiritual thing where God's just, our spirit is praying straight to God's spirit and God's helping us in that sigh, in that groan. And as he realizes this difficult thing, he just doesn't even know what to pray. Jesus is saying, humanly, I don't even know what to do with this. The Holy Spirit helped him and that person was healed. And immediately his ears were open, the impediment of his tongue was loose and notice, he spoke plainly. That's a miracle. How would he know to do that? And notice here in verse 36, he commanded them that they should tell no one, but more, he more command, the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. Isn't that our human nature? I'm going to try it this week. Nobody share your faith. Don't talk about Jesus. No praying. Don't read your Bibles. And don't invite anybody to come back to this church ever. Let's see what happens. Trial next week. <laughs> Revival breaks out. They're right in the newspaper. How did this happen? Tell us the, write your book. Um, reverse psychology. Um, <laughs> I don't know. And in verse 37, and they were astonished beyond measure saying, he has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. I love this. We can't deny the fruit. He's sort of strange at times. <laughs> he makes me really uncomfortable the way he deals with Gentiles. The fact that he went out of Israel down his side, I, I just I don't get that. The fact that his disciples aren't washing hands like they're traditionally been taught makes me feel like they're not right with God because they don't look religious like us. Jesus doesn't look religious and he's letting women touch him and he's open to these Arab people around Israel and, 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 and then these things come and he just, I, I don't know what he was thinking. It just 
very strange the way he healed that guy, but I can't deny it. It's fruitful in what he said about the Pharisees' legalism. It's true about how he drew the faith out of that witch, <laughs> that Phoenician, Syrophoenician woman. And it, it's life-changing to this man and his whole community to see him heal and speak plainly. He does all things well. You want that? Do you want that said about you? The Bible actually tells you how that can be said about you. You want to hear? Psalms 1. Meditate on God's word day and night, and whatever you do will prosper. Whatever you do, God will put that blessing like he did on his son Jesus, that he does all things well. Amen? Well, Lord, thank you for your word. And just set us free, Lord, today. Set us free if we've been weirded out by Pentecostalism and we're just wanting to stay away from the working of the Spirit and despise prophecy and not let all things be done. Lord, set us free if we've got prejudices and we're all self-righteous around people and witchcraft and whatever other wickedness. And Lord, help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Give us the desire, Lord, we're weak. We believe, but help our unbelief. We want to obey, but help us in our weaknesses and our flesh to seek you in the word and to wrestle with you in prayer and to love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. If you're here today and you're not a believer, you need to come to Jesus. Just cry out, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I give my life to you from this day forward. I'm going to follow you, seek you in the word, in prayer, and just do what you say to do from the Bible. If you're here today, you've been living this dried out, weak, religious, going through the motions, but not a real substance, a godliness, a form of godliness without real power. Just right now, cry out, God, get my heart back on fire. Plow up that hard heart and give me a heart of flesh, a fertile heart where my, the seeds can be planted. I can grow and love you and worship you in spirit and truth again. And now, Lord, just pour your spirit out like on the day of Pentecost right now. Fill us up. Shake this place. Fill us up with your spirit.